Florida had just made the change where you didn't need to have the lawyer's name in there. And I said, I'm going to be a truck lawyer. I want my name to be what we're going to do. And people search for truck accident lawyer, right? So we formed the truck accident law firm. No one had done it before. And I bought truckcrashlaw.com. So now I have truck crash law, truck accident law, and a bunch of other similar names that all just point right to that same website. Welcome to the Tip the Scales podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm your host, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRank. This week, I am joined by the other Joe that specializes in truck accident cases, Joe Camerlingo. I'm super, super excited about this because I've known of him for a really long time because I know he works with Joe Freed. We talked about specializing in truck accidents and why it's so important to work with a truck accident lawyer that is board certified, the importance of referring cases that you don't specialize in. We talked about how a lot of truck accident cases are actually worth a lot more than the million the insurance policy offers to you. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Tell us your name, your firm, and maybe like a little bit of history on your firm. Joe Camerlengo, uh, based in Jacksonville, Florida, and we handle tractor trailer crashes all over the country. I started my firm, um, just my personal firm, being a plaintiff's lawyer in 2001 and started focusing on trucks about 08, 09. Oh, wait. So you're that Joe that does trucking cases that everybody talks about. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or he may be my partner, whatever. Uh, so yeah, in, in, uh, 2014, I rolled into a, a big, uh, trial firm in Jacksonville called Coker law. Um, so I could jettison everything except tractor trailer and commercial motor vehicle cases. And then in 2017, was fortunate to partner with Joe Freed and, and Michael Leiserman at the time, uh, and form the truck accident law firm. I love Joe Freed. Better man, husband and father than he is a lawyer. And he's a damn good lawyer. Yes, he is. <laughs> so how does that work? He has his firm in Georgia and then you two have a firm out of Florida? Right. I mean, his main firm is Freed Goldberg. He and Michael's a phenomenal lawyer. They have a great firm in Atlanta. Um, and then their firm, Freed Goldberg, and my firm, Cameron Angle Law Group, own the truck accident law firm. The only difference is all my firm does is run the truck accident law firm, and we're lucky to have Joe on the big cases. And then if he has any Florida cases, he works with us. I just met Michael, and I swore he was like not a not real. <laughs> Because I've n- had never met him and I've seen Joe Frieda at so many conferences and I met him at a Georgia event and everybody was like, oh no, in Georgia, Michael's the big deal. Michael Goldberg is, a, again, a phenomenal person and a brilliant trial lawyer as well. Absolutely. That's crazy. I thought he was just like, I don't know, some random last name that, you know, Freed threw up on there. I don't know. <laughs> well, and what's what's crazy is, I mean, his personality is bigger than Freed's. He's just this great- They're very different, right? Southern accent, you know, good looking, just- you know, all American boy. I, I, I love hanging out with Michael and Joe, and they're both brilliant trial lawyers, obviously. So, tell me a little bit about like what made you decide. At, at what point did you say I'm going to niche down and really focus on truck? And you do, I assume, car as well. No, all we do is tractor trailer. And- That's it. Yes, ma'am. Wow, you're really niche down. Why? I never wanted to be a trial lawyer. Kind of growing up, college. I have a finance degree. Conservative Republican. 
You're not allowed to say that here. <laughs> That's right. And uh, except for tort reform, right? I'm teasing. I'm, I'm. So when I went to law school, honestly, it's because I didn't want to go cold sell stocks and bonds with a finance degree. And if I'm being completely honest, the job is my fraternity house dad came open. And I, if I went to law school, I could be house dad at University of Florida while we were a number one party school in the nation for three years. So that's why I went to law school. I'm like, oh, I'll get my JD MBA. The point of all that is I was never a very good just general PI lawyer because I need complexity. Uh, I'm an overworker. I'm very unlikely the smartest person in the room, but I promise you I'm the hardest person working in the room. But it almost, it sounds like you're saying the opposite, like you were bored, <laughs> like you needed more difficult things. I'm not saying I'm not smart. I'm just not the smartest. So that's the point. I needed complexity. And then for me, it was Tony Ann Johnson, 19-year-old girl, my first tractor trailer case, uh, God rest her soul, killed by a truck driver over hours going down a little county road in Florida, pulling double trailers, which is illegal. Um, and we were able to prove in that case, you know, once we got the tractor trailer case, I dove into the federal motor carrier safety regulations. I joined AAJ, met Joe, met Michael, met all, you know, Morgan Adams, all these great lawyers and just loved the complexity, um, and the intellectuality of these cases. I mean, these are not car wreck cases, you know, the federal aviation, some of the same standards that apply to pilots apply to truck drivers. That's how complicated it can I be. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously it's different rules, but the same concept, uh, maximum on duty time, maximum drive time. In that case, we were able to prove that the, the truck driver was lying on his logs, that he was trained to go down the little county roads, but log it like he was driving I-95 to I-4 to Tampa, just so they can get that one more run in over hours. That was one more run that killed Tony Ann Johnson. And we were able to prove that. We were able to get justice for her family. There is no justice for that, by the way. We were able to get many, many more millions than they wanted out of the case. Uh, but the most important thing I was proud of, we got the super large trucking company whose name I cannot use <laughs> to agree and acknowledge that um, that double tandem shouldn't be on county roads in Florida. And so as part of the settlement, they agreed to never drive on county roads again with double trailers. And I was hooked. I'm like, I can I can make the roads safer. I can get justice for this family and and take care of them and obviously make a good living for my family as well. And it was that complexity that just made me dive into it head first. All of your associates, they all also just focus on trucking cases. The whole firm. How do you get enough cases? We have um, five lawyers in our law firm right now, okay. a sixth about to start. And we have probably under a hundred active truck wrecks for the whole law firm, right? So, you know, you're talking about 20, 25 cases max per lawyer. So it makes a big difference um, and what you can handle in that regard. But it is very hard to get cases. There's a lot of, as, as you know, I mean, every freaking lawyer on earth is advertising their truck lawyer now, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. 99% of them, right? They get the catastrophic truck wreck with a million in coverage, think that's an easy flip. Three months after the crash, have the boohoo conversation with the client, hand them the that what's left of their million dollar check and then go out and celebrate because they got a $333,000 or $400,000 fee in, in you know three months worth of work. Meanwhile, there could have been tens of millions of dollars available for that family. They've committed malpractice and they don't even know. So do most of your cases come from referrals or are you guys also generating them? Most of our work comes from speaking at events like we're here today in, uh, at AAJ, uh, Advanced Depot College. So most of it is because Again, following my mentor, Joe Fried's lead is going out and teaching other lawyers how to do that. We're not trying to take all cases. 
We're trying to, first of all, make the roads safer so these cases don't happen. And second of all, educate all the lawyers out there handling these truck cases on how to do it and do it right. And that's where we get most of our stuff is from talking to lawyers. Your firm name. Oh my goodness gracious. That was that was probably the smartest thing you've ever done, in my opinion. That was a stroke of genius. I agree. Um, I appreciate you saying that because when I was going into this trucks, Florida had just made the change where you didn't need to have the lawyer's name in there. And I said, I'm going to be a truck lawyer. I want my name to be what we're going to do. And people search for truck accident lawyer, right? So we formed the truck accident law firm. No one had done it before. And I bought truckcrashlaw.com. So now I have truck crash law, truck accident law, and a bunch of other similar names that all just point right to that same website. And did you trademark the name? Yeah. Well, service marked, I think, is what we did in Florida. What's that? Can you explain to me? It's whatever the Florida version of that is. You have to talk to my corporate lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> I believe like in Georgia, they would not allow you to trademark something like like your name, basically. But you can't trademark things that are common, like a common description, right? Um, and so th the difference is it's the actual name of our business. So it's not like we're saying we want to trademark truck accident law because we handle truck accident law. We are the truck accident law firm, so we can trademark our name. It's a legal business that's been in existence since 2017. Well, imagine what you could do with it, with the name. You could provide so much amazing information to help those that had someone that was in a catastrophic truck accident. That's the goal, absolutely, is to be informative. I look forward to hearing your proposal, <laughs> making right. it better. Back to you. Now, you said that you were a surfer. Yeah, back in the day, yes, ma'am. Tell me about that. We lived in South Florida for about a year and a half, and we moved to Ponce Inlet, Florida, um, which is a good surfing place. You know, um, It's one of the most consistent breaks, either Ponce Inlet or New Smyrna, that has waves on the east coast of Florida. And so I just grew up surfing. We surfed almost every day. What about sharks? You weren't scared? It's the shark bite capital of the world. And you weren't, really, you just were not scared? No. Well, why? I should say the first year we were scared till you learned that they're not wanting to eat humans. If they bite a human, it's because it's a mistake or you hit the shark. Yeah, but those things could happen. Yes, but the most of the shark bites in Daytona and Ponce Inlet are little reef sharks. You just gotta have cool stories to tell the you know the the chicks later oh, <laughs> that, from the teenage me. years. <laughs> like we were wanting, to, give me that shark bite on the leg, man! What a cool story that would be. <laughs> no, this this night night camp. But it, you know, it's crazy when the water's clear. I mean, I've been from you to me from a hammerhead shark where we saw it swim across the break. It was shallow break. We said, all right, hey, shark, you just stand still on the board. It literally swam right between me and my buddy where he was like about where that, the curtains were. And we looked. And so one eye's looking at him and one eye's looking at me. And we both saw it swim. We're like, holy shit. <laughs> the, the difference, I stayed on my board and calmly rode my board to shore because there was other ones out there. We could see the other fins. He was like flailing. I'm like, you're going to get eaten. Calm down. <laughs> But where did you learn that ability to like, I think that is such an amazing ability because if we can remain calm in moments like that, we are going to react so much better. Absolutely. So for me, uh, my dad died when I was eight months old. I'm sorry. In Vietnam. It's okay. And whenever I feel like I'm having a bad day or in a stressful situation, I think about what he experienced. Uh, he had just turned 21 uh, in September. He's killed in October. 
So the things that he experienced at 19, 20, and 21, what he faced, the stories I heard from the people that served in the military with him, anything I ever faced in my life is minimal. Just got to keep calm, breathe deep, and motor on. So perspective. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my kids lack perspective. <laughs> <laughs> we have to teach them that. I know. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah, the first world struggles of our children are much different than the ones we had growing up, as we talked about with you in Mexico and me being a poor kid up in New York. Uh, so we just surf every day. Um, I remember, I think it was either Shane Duran, I'm sorry, Shane Horan, or I forget who one of the surfers said, what do you do when there's no surf? He said surf. So that's what we did. We literally surfed every day before school, after school, got to the point where I was pretty good. Um, started surfing competitions and then um, went to uh, UF and was on the surf team. I was captain of the surf team there one year, but got a couple of sponsors and had a lo nice little you know thousand dollar scholarship through I forget either ESA or NSSA for surfing. So it was pretty fun. I was never the best surfer in the water once we got to the like the finals and semifinals, but I would outwork the everybody in the water. First guy out, I'm going to beat you to the wave. I'm going to take the best wave, and I also judged. So I knew exactly what the judges were looking for, right? It's not the six foot air, one move on the wave. It's the most waves. It's the, the biggest, best wave with the most moves and the most critical section of the wave for the longest ride. So if you know what they're looking for, kind of like in, in law, if you know what the jury has to answer in the jury instruction, the verdict form, and you give it to them, then you, then you work it into your case. Have you seen that video on Instagram of like the largest wave surfed? Oh my gosh, yes. That gave me so much anxiety. I All I could think in that moment was like- It's Nazare, board school. No, all I could think about was like his parents. Freaking stupid. <laughs> That's what I think about. Like, I can't, if I were his mom, I, I, I would be so, so freaking pissed. The power of water generally, but the power of the ocean- is ridiculous. So the biggest waves we ever surfed when I finished law school, I went to Costa Rica for a contest down there. Um, and the the waves, it was a south swell coming up the Pacific and the waves were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a place called Playa Nosara. It's one of my favorite places on earth. It's a, a little hotel on a cliff overlooking the beach in Nosara. It's a beach break and it's a kind of a sheltered break. So it's a sand bottom, no rocks. And you have beautiful waves there. And we wake up one day, we get there, you know, we get there one day and it's probably eight to 12 feet, but it was, it's fun. Wake up the next morning to the pounding of the surf. I get out there and I'm the only person to make it out of all the people that were there. And it was probably a mile paddle. And I get out there and drop into my first wave and it's like a 24, 25 foot wave. And it scared the, I mean, I couldn't imagine a hundred foot wave. I literally, I had one of those old waterproof cameras, you know, that they used to be probably too young, but waterproof cameras used to be in a sack that you, you know, you, you clipped on, you put it around, you paddled, then you got to unzip it and get the camera out. And I turned to take a picture of the wave. I was like, oh my God, put it back in and peeled off the wave and started paddling as fast as I can. Cause I took, I made the mistake of taking the first wave of a cleanup set. I don't know what that means. So the sets come through, you'll get, you know, four to six waves, four to six waves. And there's a 10, 15, depending on the break uh, and, the, and, the, and the ocean, 10 or 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever between sets. And then every 45 minutes or an hour, or it could be an hour and a half, a cleanup set comes through where it breaks way further out and almost twice as big. And so you have to, I mean, the, the cleanup sets there were frightening. I can't imagine a hundred foot wave. Now they're being towed in 
by sea dews instead of having to paddle out to that stuff. I don't care. It's crazy. They're doing 60, 70 miles an hour down the face of a wave, just like fly. You see their boards just, you know, leaving the surface of the water coming down. Now they, they definitely, I think people that are doing this have a dopamine issue. They have a, they have a risk. Something didn't grow properly in their brain. No, no, no. It's a, it, they're like, they're addicted to the, the dopamine hit that yeah. they get. So they keep going, going and going. Um, I'm reading a book called, I'm almost done. I've been reading it for like two months. Dopamine Nation. It's so good. Really? Yeah. Because it, it talks about, well, A, it talks about addiction because it that's what addiction has to do with it, the dopamine. Um, but it talks about like the pleasure and pain balance and how like careful you have to be with those things. It's really, really interesting. Add that to my, my uh, audio, audio. Is it on? I'm Audible. sure it is. It's super It's super popular. With all I read all day long, I listen to books. <laughs> when I get home, if it's not a law book that I'm reading, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm listening to it. Have you ever listened to any books? I have, yeah. There's some that have like the, the voice of the author of the is author. so good. Like the, the guy that does Unfuck Yourself. I read the book. Um, oh, you've got to listen to it. it. He's so, Gary, I'm, what's his name? I'm He's signed up so to his good. newsletter. Oh, yeah. You need, are, are you signed up? He actually has a, a really good blog. Well, I listened to the book. I wanted to sign up for the blog. I need to do that. You know, he has a Scottish accent. No. Oh, it's, it's it's like, you know, if if you're in that bad relationship, what are you doing? Unfuck yourself, man. Oh, I need to <laughs> listen so to so good. I and promise. it's such a good book. Yes. I'm curious, what do you do if you get a case that isn't a trucking case? Do you refer them out or you don't even bother? It depends on who it is. It, we have cases that if it's a family friend and it's a $100,000 policy or a $300,000 policy, we'll, we'll get them the money and not even charge a fee, right? So we do, we do a lot of that just, we don't, look, we don't need a fee on this. Where other lawyers would charge them the 33,000, 40,000 or the 100 and whatever thousand, we just handle it for them, take the liens and don't even charge a fee. Or if I have my associate do it, I'll charge like $5,000 and just give it to my associate. Got it. Now it sounds like you have a really awesome network and community. And this is something that comes up a lot um, on the podcast. And there are so many young lawyers that are trying to kind of build that network. Um, what was that like for you? How did you start to kind of build that network? And now you teach and like you you give back to that same community. So what's that been like? The reward at the end is fantastic. I mean, you know, where people are calling you for advice and reaching out uh, for uh, trial advice, business advice, car crash advice, whatever it is, mostly truck wrecks now and commercial motor vehicle stuff. I mean, it's a it's a privilege to know that your your dedication, your specialty, your all the time that you spend having to learn to become a specialist pays off. But where it started for me, and this is where I think a lot of lo young lawyers that don't have their own firms are hampered. When I started my own firm, as a, when I left the defendant, seven and a half years on as a defense lawyer. When I became a plaintiff's lawyer, I immediately started bringing lawyers in to try cases with me. I didn't need to. I could try a case. I was a you know, good trial lawyer at the time, but I wanted to learn everybody else what they did, right? So I tried cases with Scott Shuler, Rick Block, Howard Coker, all these great lawyers. And I remember one of my long-term paralegals like, why do, you keep, why do you keep sharing the fee? Why are you bringing all these people in? Like, is the client better served with me and Howard Coker trying a case or with just me? Okay, that's the answer. He's got a bigger team than we do. Let's try this case together. And so for me, it was never 
and we have a, a firm rule. No one in my law firm is allowed to do math on what the fee is until the case is over. It's never about what we make. It's always about what the client makes. And I've always had that philosophy. Take out what you, you know, if you take care of your clients, you do what's right. So for me as a young lawyer, I was able to try cases with a lot of people. And I think some young lawyers now, that's what I would tell them is, you know, get your firm to humble itself and bring in, let you bring in other lawyers. Um, and especially on these cases that are trucking, aviation, you know, product liability, you can't dabble in those areas of law. And what lawyers don't understand is they're going to get a $400,000 fee on a million dollars, or it's going to be a $20 million result. And your little cut is going to be more than your client was even going to get in the gross settlement. So the hard part is just you need to humble yourself, associate other lawyers, see how that works, and then develop your own style, right? No one can be Joe Freed, but Joe Freed. No one can be, you know, Andy Young, but Andy Young or Jay Vaughn or Ed Cimboli. Uh, you have to be you and, and learn what works for you. Now, in the past few years, especially like the last maybe five to 10, have you noticed a really big shift in the PI world in terms of these young lawyers starting their own firms, utilizing things like social media and their networks to generate cases? And like, how do you feel about that? What have you noticed? I've been very impressed with the younger lawyers that are familiar with social media that are you know, trying to be influencers, if that's the right term, I don't know. <laughs> but they're you know, trying to get out there and, and, and being vulnerable and putting themselves out there. But it seems to me that the ones that are having the most success are the ones that are just being real and not trying to be the big, smart lawyer talking like a lawyer. And then when the case, you know, when cases do happen, they get calls. Do you think a lot of lawyers are not bringing in more senior lawyers when they should? Absolutely. And I think it's pride, it's ego. Uh, and it's like, again, worried about, I'm going to have to cut my fee. You're probably going to get more in your little chunk than any settlement you would ever get if you bring in uh, Joe Fried, Ed Cirembole, these great lawyers that, you know, Satch Oliver, these brilliant lawyers from all over the country that can add Wait, value. it's not Oliver Satch? <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke that none of you will get. But Satch will appreciate. Yes, he will. <laughs> what point in time should a lawyer say, hey, this is when you need to call somebody? The minute it's outside of what you do and trucking is not what you do if you're a car wreck lawyer or a PI lawyer, right? So I feel like every PI firm, they see, like they do trucking. Uh, no, they don't. They handle car wrecks with trucks inside them. They treat them like car crashes with big insurance and big property damage. They don't understand, by and large, how to get outside of the, just that trucking company's million dollars. So you can go outside? 85, 90% of the time, we can get more than that million. Wow. That's what they don't understand. I can give you example after example. A family of six hit head on in a van going to see their new house, all excited. Un literally poor family, Hispanic family. Uh, the guy's a handyman. His boss said, hey, I just bought this 4,500 square foot house on three acres. You guys can live in it if outside of our jobs, you work on the house. Literally take their kids out of school. They're driving to go see. They get hit on by a semi. One million in coverage offered right away. Six week old baby dies. No, I can't. Terrible facts. One million offered right away. A six week old baby dies. Everybody's injured to various levels of horribleness. Wait, was the baby in a car seat? Yes. Was it installed incorrectly? 
I don't know whether it was or wasn't because there was no seats left in the van except for the two front. Literally, it was split in half. It was horrible. The issue in the case was a million dollars offered right away and we were insistent on getting the trailer coverage, right? It was empty, so we didn't have a load that they were going to be. We couldn't go up the transportation cycle because they weren't under-dispatched anybody, just wanted the trailer coverage. Uh, they kept fighting me to give the trailer coverage. Why? The trailer didn't malfunction. There was no negligence on the part of the trailer manufacturer. I don't care. Give me the coverage. By law, do they have to give you the coverage? In Florida, they have to give you the coverage. In some states, they do, but you, it's a subpoena, right? And some states, they don't have to? Yes. In some states, they don't. But here's the point. You don't have to take their million. Don't take their million unless you get all the policies. That's what people don't understand. They don't have to give you the insurance. Or you don't have to take their money. Sue them and get a $100 million verdict. So you think there are lawyers out there that get a case like this and they say, okay, great. They offer the million. I'll take they it. take it in a heartbeat. Really? In that case, there was $228 million in coverage on the trailer. Every one of those policies had permissive use language, which most trailer policies do. What does that mean? That means like if you loaned me your car, right? And I get in a crash, my policy would apply, but also yours because I was a permissive user of your car. Every one of those $228 million policies had permissive use language for non-owned autos. So that truck driver was an agent of the car. The other mistake that young lawyers and inexperienced law trucking lawyers make, they'll take that million and release the truck driver and the trucking company, take, but reserve all other claims if they're trying to do that. Once they've done that, they've now eliminated the permissive use because you just released the truck driver who was the user of the, of the trailer. So a million for a million dollars now, you just gave up $228 million in coverage in a case that could be worth every penny of that. So that's just one example. So there's broker shipper coverage. If it's a if it's a shipping container on a chassis, there's usual the shipping company that oversees ship move that you is usually signs a contract saying they're responsible from pickup to delivery. So contractually, you can get all the way up to the shipper after you get the trucking company and the insurance and all that that they have, you can go up the chain. So there's so many different areas for them to make mistakes. So what I would say to young lawyers, find someone that's a real, for trucking, whatever it is, product liability, develop friends, mentors. We have lawyers call us all the time and we talk them through it. Here's what you got to do. Get this. Okay. Go take your money. Right. I mean, we talk, we don't want, I'm talking about just me. There's a ton of trucking lawyers here today. Satch, Eddie, Jay, right. Heidi DiLorenzo, Elise Sanguinetti. We don't want every trucking case. We just want everybody to rest at night knowing if you're going to take the million, you're hundred percent sure there was no other dollar for that family. And now I have to assume that what a lawyer could do is call one of you and just say, Hey, can you look at this and tell me what you think this is worth? And then that can, like, then they can make a, an educated decision as do I need to bring someone on or not. I have a deal like that with many lawyers. If you get this catastrophic trucking case, the earlier you get a lawyer like us involved, the better. But they offer the million, they're not going to pull it off the table. Before you say yes, give one of these great trucking lawyers a call. And usually within 48 hours, if you have the right documents, we'll tell you, hey, we can go up the chain or hey, you need this, this, and this. And you know, if they have the million on the table, like we don't charge a fee on the million. If you've been offered a million, that's your money. Okay, we only get paid on the up. For someone just to call you to ask you, hey, can you look at this? It's not you're not going to charge them. Absolutely not. Looking forward to building a friendship and a relationship. We probably can learn stuff from them too. So why aren't lawyers doing this? Greed, pride. 
Again, they're worried if they make the phone call that they're going to have to cut you in on the fee, which again, if I'm speaking frankly and honestly, should never be your concern. Is your client better served with a board certified trucking lawyer and you in a trucking case or an aviation lawyer and you in an aviation case or a product liability lawyer and you general PI lawyer in a product liability case? Is your client better served to have both those firms involved or not? That should be the only question in their mind and don't give a shit about the damn fee. How many lawyers in the U.S. are board certified truck lawyers? And I, I guess it depends by state, no? No. Nope. The state thing? It's a, so there's no state. It's the National Board of Trial Advocates. Huh. Um, and through the American Bar Association, it's a, it's a, a nationally ABA approved board certification through the MBTA. And I think right now there's like 65 or just under 70 of us now. Out of how many? Oh my God. Look at all the freaking billboards out there and TV ads. I mean, it has to Millions. be. Yeah, that's crazy. Hundreds of thousands of lawyers advertising that they're trucking. And just, I don't care if you've handled a thousand truck wrecks like a car wreck, you're not a damn truck lawyer. You're a car wreck lawyer handling trucking cases. And what do they require for you to become certified? Like, do you have to have X amount of verdicts? So there is a, um, a point system that takes into account trials, so many depositions, um, speaking engagements, CLEs. So it's a, it's a point system. You have to have an adequate number of points. Is there a test? And, and then, so there's points, there is, um, writing samples of, of, of trucking specific issues. Oh God, and then that there's a test. Awful. That's right. So it's, it's, it's verification and vetting of your credentials and experience. And then it's a knowledge-based test and you have to pass. That's crazy. Yep. And not I mean, it makes does. perfect sense. What I find fascinating is that the average person doesn't care. Like they don't understand the difference. Not that they don't care. They don't know what they don't know, so they can't care, right? So it's not like they're going and Googling, you know, board certified truck accident lawyer. They're just looking for a truck accident lawyer. And I can tell you this because I know this firsthand. Every single PI firm is targeting trucking cases. And they are. And that's the sad, right? And the, the common person thinks, well, I mean... That firm has so many ads, they must be great lawyers, right? They can afford TV advertising. And that's just not the case. Um, or even digitally, yeah. you know. Here's the point. If you needed brain surgery or a complicated, you know, knee replacement or hip, whatever it is, are you going to go to a general practitioner for that surgery? No, but I think every lawyer listening right now is thinking, well, you just want us to bring you in. Like you just want referrals. This is why you're saying it, to play devil's advocate. I appreciate that, but don't hire me, hire somebody else or just talk to find a board certified trucking lawyer in your area where you are. Again, I don't know all of them. I know most of them. They don't want every case. They literally want to help you know that, that yes, go ahead and take the money. It's all yours. You know, buy me a steak dinner next time we're in the same city. Good job. Right. Or I'll buy you whatever. I mean, the, the point is they don't want all your cases just because you make a phone call doesn't mean you're, you have to give up a fee or give up a case. It's just, you know, ed, educate yourself. Yeah, I think people are really afraid to ask and to reach out um, and to ask for help. I don't know why that is actually, as humans. We talked about it. Pride, ego. <laughs> Does it always go back to that? Don't you think? I do. Yeah. I do. I want to know what you think. I think absolutely. These are trial lawyers. They're type A overachievers, you know, kicked ass their whole lives. I don't need anybody else. I, I can figure this out. And you just can't, right? I mean, 
if you're going to be doing these cases, here's what, here's what I would say to these lawyers. If you're going to be doing these cases and you don't want to get help, you better have, if you want to sleep at night, join the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys, join the AAJ Truck Litigation Group, come to the meetings, read the materials, subscribe to Transport Topics, become a knowledge expert, and then you can be comfortable knowing that you're handling these cases properly. I mean, I reach out to my brothers and sisters in trucking to ask questions. We have internal text groups and 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 emails where we're all asking each other questions every day, humbling ourselves to say, hey, anybody had this person before? Anybody had this issue before? We brainstorm that together. Yeah. What is it that they say? I saw this on social media the other day. Something like the people at the top, they don't compete, they collaborate. 1000% accurate. I don't view anybody here as my competition. I would be grateful for any of the other truck lawyers here to get a trucking case, right? I mean, that's wonderful. I don't, I'm not envious, right? I don't care. I hope they get whatever full justice for their clients. I just want to know that these people, it's all about the, the, the people who are lost loved ones or dealing with para, you know, paraplegia, quadriplegia, horrible burns, traumatic brain injury. They deserve lawyers that know what the hell they're doing, whether it's a truck case product. I know we keep coming back trucking. It's what I do, but product liability, med mal, don't freaking dabble. So before we end this, tell me something that you're excited about right now. Well, one of the things, uh, this has been great for me. One of the things that we're doing is starting our new podcast uh, called Joe Knows Trucks. Um, and but it's we, you or you and Joe Freed. It's well, Joe will might be a guest on Joe Knows. You let him know I'm the Joe that knows trucks. I know. Right? Talk I know. About this. <laughs> he's yeah. He's not gonna like this. <laughs> That's right. So, anyways, Joe Knows Trucks. Joe will be on there. Um, but it, it's me and my my brother who's hilarious. Um, Is he a lawyer too? Nope. He's my COO, CMO. Oh wow! Uh, and just a general good guy and smartass like me. So. We ask a lot of serious questions. We have some fun with it. And then we're, we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to invite guests in. love to have you on there as well. Uh, but it's called Joe Knows Trucks. We already have four or five episodes out there and we'll be shooting more starting this month. And what do you guys talk about? Our um, podcast is generally focused on safety. So it's getting the safety message out. I mean, our firm, our goal every day is we say we're litigating ourselves out of a job. We're trying with every big settlement to get a safety measure in place that will prevent this from happening to someone else. So, you know, we do a lot of like school bus safety. Um, uh, we talked about autonomous vehicles. And so like in Florida, there's platooning. Platooning is where up to five tractor trailers get 10 to 20 feet apart. And once they do that, the second through five tractor trailers turn control over to the first tractor trailer. And whenever the first tractor trailer breaks or accelerates, it's, you know, it's computer generated. So it instantly breaks or changes. Whatever happens in the first truck happens in the second. What frightens the shit out of me is that's a freaking train going down the highway at 70 miles an hour. And when the first truck doesn't break, what's going to happen? You're going to oh. have, yeah, exactly. The look on your face is the look in my And this heart. is legal? Oh yeah. Every, almost every state now. So that's we 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 bring these type of issues to the to the listeners. Oh God, I get so much anxiety driving on the freeway. This is not helping. Yeah, I have a question for you. School buses, what do they have seatbelts? They don't all. They sh absolutely should. Yeah, you know what? It's, I'm lying. They have a seatbelt for the bus driver. Yes, and the kids. Very few do. Okay, and then here's my other annoyance. Like some of those kids still need boosters. Absolutely. But how is this okay? It isn't. It's absolutely not. It really, really annoys me. And there's a lot of safety exceptions for school buses too, by the way. But that, no, like, shouldn't it be the other way around? 
thousand percent. Absolutely. You know, one of my first school bus cases was a horrible case where a, a young man was run over twice by a school bus. He was a special needs child. The school bus driver had just been hired. Horrible safety record. Shouldn't have been. Actually had been uh, charged with pedophilia of his- Well, did you see what happened time. recently? Nope. Oh my God. There was a school bus driver that kidnapped a girl and like raped her. This school bus driver had been fired from another local school bus company, had served time in Colorado or something for pedophilia. This is why I homeschool my children. When the school bus company said, never put your kids on a bus ever, seriously. This case, so um, hang on, wait till you hear the story. So when the school bus driver, when when the school bus company submitted this driver's name, the, the city said, no, can't hire them. They put him in the bus anyway. On his first day, he's covering this route for a driver that was sick. He's supposed to go straight, trying to be the new guy. He hears there's another bus running behind. He says, oh, I can make, I can get that stop. And he turn, tries to turn right down this little road and he runs Barry Bowes over in front of everybody. And then he can't make it. So he backs up because he can't make the turn, runs him over again. You mean he so actually went- He went straight and then backed up, ran over the kid again. Horrible, horrible the thing. Fuck? So, So that's not the most disturbing thing in this story. Here's the most disturbing thing. So the, the young man had ptosis, you know, your eyelids come down. Uh, he was an ESC student, but he was high achieving. He actually helped teach the other ESC kids. Wonderful young man. And they actually had three bus drivers come in as you know witnesses to say, oh, that kid you know, sat in the seat, didn't talk to anybody. And it looked like he was on drugs all the time. He had freaking ptosis. This is like a 12-year-old boy, right? So th- again, the story doesn't end here. So I, I want to do the deposition at the school bus company. And it's the dregs of society there that are the school bus driver. Like you wouldn't believe the how these are the people in charge of your children. So one of the three witnesses who said my kid looked like he was drunk all the time because he couldn't open his eyes all the way for a medical condition, I get to the end of the depot and I say, so Mrs. Bus Driver, sorry, we asked this of all our, our witnesses. And this is at the school bus company. Um, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Yes. What? Murder. Like, what? We what? <laughs> on the record. The school bus lawyer's like, this is the witness. Did that you they know? No, no, I just asked the question. Murder. Uh, but it was second degree. Did you serve time for that? Yeah, where? Right here? How long? Six years? Do they know that? Oh, yeah. And the, are you still driving for them? Yep, still a school bus driver here. I did my time. I paid my crimes. <laughs> I can't. They had a freaking convicted murderer driving a school bus. That's, yeah. I'm like, an, I'm never, shocked. ever, ever put your kids on a school bus unless like one of the things we, we preach is get, get school bus driver's name, get a picture of their license, right? That, that's not public. That's not private information. When they become a school bus driver for a city or state, run the background check. I mean, know who's driving your children. My kids already hate me because I'm super strict and like, I, the way that I look at things and what I try to explain to them is there's so, like so little that we can control. Like when I can control having you in a car seat that's safe and a booster and you're complaining when I don't want you in cars with people I don't know. I don't want you taking a bus. I don't want, <clears throat> I again, they think I'm crazy. I won't let them ride their bikes outside. <laughs> like I'm like, but this is what happens when you work with PI lawyers. Like I'm never gonna forget one of my first conferences, PI lawyer says you have kids. I'm like, yes, it's like never ride bikes outside like on the street, not outside, on the street. Like we'll take them somewhere safe, but not on the street. And don't do trampolines. And then later I learned no bunk beds. 
Mm-hmm. So my kids beg me for bunk beds. I'm like, absolutely not, especially because they rough house all day. I'm like, it's not happening. And they hate me. They think I'm like the strictest parent, but I'm like, I can control so little. My first case as a law clerk at a defense firm, we were defending a case where a young man, it was a trampoline case, it was a med mal where the young man was out there with his friends and they did the double jump. And so you know how the, the trampoline comes up and he hit his knee to his head. No one knew about it, but his friends. He went home and laid down and never woke up. What? Yeah. And so he had a massive brain tumor, but there was that a med mal case. happen just from your knee hitting? Absolutely. He had a massive brain tumor because when he came down on the double jump or triple jump, you know, it's, it, 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 I don't know if you ever experienced that, but it'll actually jar you very bad. And Did he, he throw it, up? What's that? Did he throw up? Yeah. He threw up. He had, a, he had a headache. He went to sleep on the couch and That's never woke up. literally what you're not supposed to do is go to sleep. The tr- well, no one knew. He didn't tell the parents. He just went home and said, mom, I'm not feeling well. So the, I the have poor to, parents didn't I'm going to explain this to my kids and, now. And it, I mean, you know, he didn't die right away. They took him to the hospital and they said, oh, he's got a headache. And they sent him home. And then, he, you know, so that, that was a med mal case. Um, but it was eye-opening, like no trampoline ever for my kids. And they're they're still mad at me for it. Exactly right. Everybody else has trampolines. I said, you know what? They're not my kids. <laughs> My husband, he only has one kidney. And when he was in high school, he went to a party and like got super drunk and passed out. And one of the girls there called 911. And they told, later the hospital told my husband's mom, if they hadn't called 911, he would have died. And I'm like, that girl, like at that age, to be so like determined of like, no, we're all going to get in trouble, but fuck it. Like, wow. Like, I almost want to find this woman. Yeah, that's actually impressive that they did that versus trying to cover it up. Yeah, and, you know, I've always said to my kids, it is never an excuse to say, well, so-and-so's parents said that. Go live there. I tell them all the time. I don't, I literally, these are the words I use. I tell them, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I'm like, I don't give a fuck what Billy does. I don't give a fuck about his parents. I only care about you. That's it. And they're like- they think I'm. They think I'm like super strict, but I only hope that they do that with their children. Me too. And recognize once they get to the appropriate age that you were saving them from probably harm. Yeah, I mean, instead of just being the mean party pooping mom. Oh, I'm. I'm the part. I'm totally the party pooper. Like, on all accounts, from like yeah, that's, sugar that's to television house. to everything. My wife says she hates being the disciplinary. That's like, what she's I always say. the mean mom, and I'm that's the cool what dad. I say. <laughs> I always tell my husband, this is not fair. Like, I have to be the bad guy. And he's like, the fun one. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I really, I appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, super short notice and you're like, I'll do it. (laughs) Well, it's one of the things we do well. We talk. Thank you so much to Joe for everything he shared with us today. If you found the story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show.